Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. The Where to Hunt Where podcast. To hunt it's, it's, okay. It's, okay. it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Howdy. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast. Today is March 31st, 2020. I'm Eric. Greg here. Greg is here. Hey, this is episode shit. What episode is this? One twenty six, I think. Is it, is it buck twenty six or is it a buck twenty five? I don't know. Mm. You might be talking about those gas prices. Yeah, isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. How low they are, and we have no place to go to enjoy it. <laughs> My truck's just been parked. I had to run into work to grab some extra monitors the other day, and I was like, "Woo, road trip!" You know. Right, uh, and I'm mind. down to going in basically on Mondays to make sure some things are going smoothly at the shop, and to do any build outs if they need to be built, and check on some other odds and ends, any building maintenance stuff, you know, like toilets and whatever else. Fun stuff, Greg. Oh. I will. So, okay, uh, we do have a guest on the line. They're hanging out in the studio. We're going to bring them on in a second. But before we do that, we want to do our call out to our sponsors. And uh, I'm holding on to your backwoods grind. I'm not. I'll try my best not to drink it. I. Uh, ooh, that's going to be hard. But well, if you can resist, that's that'd be much appreciated. But if not, I'll understand because it's just that damn good it is that damn good shout out to those guys for keeping us going giving us the energy to do the show head on over to backwoodsgrind.com enter in code w2h podcast for 10 percent off and then uh we urge everybody every week to switch boots to gumleaf usa gumleafusa.com these are uh natural rubber boots 85 percent natural rubber vibram soles they go up higher on your legs they can uh, fit your calves better than some boots they're easy to get off. They're comfortable. They're uh, just a very durable rubber boot. More durable than I think what you'd find in the big box stores. I think you'd agree with me. Greg. Don't forget about that. Don't forget about that vibrant sole. That's the traction the, of that vibrant sole is excellent. The flexibility and the traction of it. So head on over to gumleafusa.com. Enter in code W2H2020 for 10% off. And then uh, we're sunsetting our, our uh, sponsorship with musket powder, but today is the last day. So we are going to do a recipe of the week. That's going to come on post. And uh, head on over to musketpowder.com. We've seasoned all sorts of food over the last few months and uh, beyond um, with those guys. So musketpowder.com, 
entering code W2H podcast for a BOGO. Buy one, get one. And we're going to do one more giveaway for the uh, recipe of the week submission. And then I, we, <laughs> I will say, go ahead. I will say, I'm, I'm going to cut you off. The red top musket powder, a little sweet and a little heat. Oh, so nice. Shake a little bit. I'm going to say. All right. Good call out. Uh, our newest sponsor, welcome everybody to the family, uh, Vector Custom Shop. So VectorCustomShop.com. Oh, yeah. These guys have some heavy hitting arrows. Uh, they are the real deal. You know, we had those guys on the show. When was that, Greg? A couple months ago? Yeah, it was a couple months ago. Uh, and they, uh, quote unquote, showed us the hammer. <laughs> uh, their featured arrow, the HMR. Uh, that thing's ridiculous. Yeah. Heavy, hard hitting, um, durable. It's, it's, That's all I'm gonna say. They're premium arrows built to your custom specs or specifications. So, um, you know, go to the website, check them out, and uh, listen into the full broad, the full produced episode tonight or tomorrow, whenever you're gonna listen to the podcast. We have a fun section called the Shot of the Week. So, stand by. But if you want to try those guys out, you can get ten percent off by entering in code where the number two, the word hunt. That's what we got for our sponsor callouts today. Okay, before we get into our interview with Johnny Utah, uh, John Mulligan, aka The Natural, we're going to go ahead and get into our recipe of the week. The recipe of the week. The recipe of the week is brought to you by musket powder. Completely cover, then add a little more. Camp tested. You hear that? That's the sound of tastiness. Okay, so uh, we got a couple stragglers for the recipe of the week coming through, uh, but we're doing two shows this week, too. So we'll see if we get one more to sneak through tomorrow when we do another podcast. The recipe of the week I'm going to share with everybody is one of mine and my wife's favorite, and we did share it with Greg, and uh, he shared it with his wife, so it's spreading, maybe uh, not too fast, but it's a good one. So uh, this one is not venison-related, although I think you could probably get some venison in here if you're, if you're crafty enough. The recipe is called Sweet Potato Chorizo, and uh, oh man, is it good. It's like one of my top three favorite meals. So it's a pretty quick recipe. It takes about 10 minutes of prep time. Cook time is maybe 45 minutes. So in total, you're in at under an hour. Here are the ingredients. One tablespoon of olive oil, one sweet potato, a half pound of Mexican chorizo. Uh, I buy like the chorizo brats and then just dump the meat out of those. And then 15 ounce can of black beans, one cup of uncooked long grain rice, some salsa, a cup, a quarter, one and three fourths cup of chicken broth, one cup of shredded cheese, and then two to three green onions sliced. So that's kind of your garnish. And cilantro if you like that too. So the instructions, uh, peel and dice up the sweet potatoes into some cubes, and then uh, size matters, so make them small so you can saute them. And then put those in the skillet with the olive oil, and then cook those for about five minutes on, on medium heat or until they're softened. And then add the chorizo to the skillet and uh, you know put that in with your sweet potatoes, saute all of that together and uh, until everything's kind of brown then a couple more steps here once the chorizo is fully browned pour any uh, excess grease out of there 
rinse and drain the black beans, and then add those, the salsa, the uncooked rice to the skillet. Stir them in uh, the sweet potatoes and trees until everything's kind of combined really well, and then add your chicken broth. Stir it, place a lid on it, and let it simmer for about 30 minutes, stirring occasionally. Um, after that, once it's done, put your garnishes on, your uh, sour cream, your uh, green onions, your cilantro, whatever you want to do there, maybe some uh, chips on the top or something like that, and that's it. It's a really, really good meal. So if anybody has any ways to um, do that with venison, I'd be open to it. And obviously, because we do have musk powder in this house, we've, <laughs> we have been adding musk powder to basically every single recipe. So that's what we're doing there. And uh, we'll hope to see maybe one or two more recipe uh, of the week's recipes of the week come through. But without uh, further ado, let's get into our interview of the week. And on the line with us is John... John Mulligan, a.k.a. Johnny Utah, a.k.a. The Man. What's going on? <laughs> What's happening, guys? How many a.k.a.s do you think I could say? I got a few. Uh, you know, it all depends on who you ask. It's John, Johnny, Utah, uh, Molly. Molly, I the like natural. that. The Natural. That's another one. The Natural. Ooh, where does that one come from? The Natural. Uh, that was but back no- from my race car days, driving a race car. Holy shit. Okay, you're... We're going to have fun with you, man, because I already know you do a lot of stuff, and we just learned something new out of the gate. What kind of race car did you drive? Yeah. Uh, I drove dirt late model stock cars. <sighs> wow. A man in dirt. What, in what state are you yeah. from? Where are you out of? Uh, I'm originally from Kentucky. Okay. Yeah, I was born and raised in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, my parents have kind of a, a mini farm, you know, eight acres, and we did horse and cattle and stuff like that. Um so growing up in Kentucky, you got two options. I mean, if you're going to get in the racing thing, it's either dirt track or it's drag strip stuff. And one side of my family was big into drag cars, but my dad was uh, big into dirt cars. So, you know, when I was younger, um, I did some motocross stuff as a kid and through um, AMA and drove, uh, drove a Kawasaki, a couple of different Kawasaki bikes uh, for a dealership there. And then I got into sprint carts and just kind of fell in love with the four wheels and going in a circle, you know. Um, as I got older, my dad got into some dirt cars, and and uh, I was kind of the crew chief, so to speak, you know, of this dirt car. And I was like, dude, let me drive. And he's like, you don't understand, son. You can't just get in one of these cars and, and go fast. They're 800 horsepower. And so I said, screw it. I'll just make – I'll build my own team. So – um, saved up all my pennies and bought my own race car and kind of Frankensteined it together and went racing on my own and finished second in my first race and then uh, won my won my next race. What? Holy shit! So Kentucky so drinking nickname the bur- natural drinking bourbon, <laughs> racing cars, aka the natural. I I grew up uh, here in Wisconsin and I spent every Saturday as a as a little kid at the dirt track in Hales Corners, uh, formerly known as Hales Corners Speedway, watching those late model cars race. And there's something yeah. th- there's something so nostalgic about the smell of racing fuel that I'll, I'll never forget, and I love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, even as we're talking about it right now, I mean, I can almost smell it, you know. And one of my best friends, uh, a guy by the name of Mike Marler, 
he runs in the Lucas Oil series and World of Outlaw series for you know in the the dirt late models and I think right now he's currently ranked fourth in the in the world right now dirt late model driver but um, wow. you know, I live vicariously through him um, and and I I don't get to watch him race as much as I used to now that I live in Iowa but uh, whenever he's in Illinois or Iowa you know someplace I'll you know, sneak over and get to hang out with him or whatever. But we, you know, we talk several times a week and, and I'm probably the one guy he gets to talk to that's, we don't talk about racing. You know what I mean? Like I'll say, where are you racing next? Yep. You had a good run last weekend. That's cool. Okay. How's the wife? How's Tennessee? You know, and we kind of talk about other stuff, but he actually is more interested to hear in my hunting adventures than he, you know, than he is racing. So uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's what we're supposed to be talking about at some point today on the show is is hunting. <laughs> we'll get there. We can take our time. Well, if we're not care it's it's getting shut down everywhere, man. Like my uh, my Nebraska plans literally just got shot. So I've been scrambling today and calling Texas and South Dakota and trying to get some plans in motion. Looks like I'm going to be putting more miles on my truck this year than I originally planned. Oh gosh! Now in that hunt, are you looking to get a Miriam's turkey, or or what are you, or a Rio, or what are you getting? Yeah, so the goal is to do all four birds in one season with a bow, and uh, you know I just shot my Florida Osceola last week uh, with my bow. So um, you know the plan was to go to Nebraska, and uh, last year I hunted Nebraska, and if you go far enough southwest you can actually get into a pocket where they have Miriam and Rios, you know, together. Mm -hmm. So I was going to try to cheat and get both birds in one state. Um, but yeah, now it looks like, um, actually, uh, musket powder ward. I'm going to be hunting with ward down oh, in shit. Texas in a couple <laughs> weeks. So, um, Very cool. I'll be heading down there uh, to, to get a Rio and then, um, We'll probably shoot a hog or two while I'm down there. He invited so, us down there for some yeah, hog hunting when this all clears up, so you have to tell him we say hi. Yeah, yeah, I will, I will. Um, yeah, and then, it, you know, it looks like either Colorado uh, or South Dakota. I have a Colorado spot. It's just, um, you know, trying to plan my trip and plan my mileage and stuff, so we'll see. But uh, the hard part, I think, is going to be that Miriam. I think that's going to be the tough one for me this year now with Nebraska doing their thing. Greg, didn't so we talked with uh, Stephanie with uh, the Woods and Water Project, Waters Project. I think that was last week. It's all a blur. Yep, Stephanie uh, Bussenberg. Yep. Yeah, she said she said she was going to be doing something similar. And is there a name for that? Is do you call that something when you get all four? Well, it's a slam. Yeah, I think they call it the quarter slam. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, she said she was doing something similar. So I wonder if she's going to have some of the same kind of run up to same kind of uh, constraints you have with everything going on right now. Yeah, she actually texted me this morning, and um, I won't repeat what her text message said, but it was explicitive, explicitive. Are you kidding me? Explicitive. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think, I think she's going to be in the same. I, I didn't know what her hunting plans were at all this year, but apparently Nebraska was on her list. So, damn. Well, and to be fair, to try and, you know, abide by what our government wants us to do to kind of curb, try and curb this crap. Uh, we're just doing what we're supposed to do. So yeah. And that's my thing. I mean, 
as a hunter, I mean, on, on the forefront, I'm like, yeah, I'm ticked. I'm bummed. These were my plans. You know, we all love to hunt. Um, on the secondary, I mean, I understand, you know, be safe and, and things like that. That being said, you know, I flew down to Florida, including me, flight attendants, and pilots. There were seven people on the plane total. Oh, wow. Um, it's like basically first class. I was in, yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I was in 96-degree weather outside, slept in a private room. Um, you know, I went into my local Casey's gas station earlier today to get some Grizzly, and there was a dozen people in there. So, like, I was in, I was around more people today at Casey's in Iowa than I was traveling to Florida to go hunting. So, um, I mean, I understand the rules that are in place, uh, but it's, um, you know, me getting in a vehicle by myself to go drive and hunt Nebraska public land, the scariest part was going to be stopping at a gas station and pumping gas. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, and I feel for the outfitters out there in Nebraska. I mean, we're talking legitimate bankruptcy for a lot of companies out there. Um, and, and that's, you know, the health scare is legit. I totally understand that. And the stats are there. Um, but the economic concerns is, is what I'm looking at six months down the road from now, you know, I'm still covered up in plenty of photography work. Um, finance, you know, I'm doing good right now, but six months from now when it comes time for contract renewals or nine months from now when it comes up for contract renewals, the companies that pay me now, if they are hit in the pocketbook from this, um, there's not going to be those funds next year. So that's, that's the concern. So, you know, for me, like I'm trying to work all I can and kind of, you know, rabbit hole as much money away as I can for what the future is going to be. That's smart. And these are trying times. The ripple effect is not yet fully known, you know, and I don't know. It seems like there's very few that are going to fare well from this or stay where they're at. Most seem like, it, how do you avoid it? You know, it's just, it's, it's affecting so much stuff. It's very wide reaching. It is, it is. And, and that's, that's the scary part, you know, and the nice part is, is, you know, if you go out and you hunt, you can kind of take your mind off of some of this stuff, um, you know, for a little bit. When I was down there with that outfitter in Florida doing photography for them, I mean, I, I was fortunate because I wasn't with a guide. You know, I wasn't um, hanging out at the lodge, congregating. I was outside taking photos. You know, somebody shoots a bird and they come in and I do their photos and and I just kind of hung outside and it was nice. I mean, in all honesty, it was nice just to be in the warm weather, you know? Um, but for that four or five days, I don't think I really turned on the news or saw anything that was going on. Uh, I called a, a good friend of mine when I was going down there and I said, Hey, how serious is this? And he's like, Oh, it's pretty serious. And he's like, but in all honesty, you're probably in the best place you can be because this whole coronavirus, you know, doesn't like UV light. It doesn't like, you know, the warm temperatures. So being that you're going to be outside and it's 96 degrees and full sun, you're probably in a pretty good spot, you know? Yeah. So 
uh, you know, it's, it's still scary. Cause I mean, I have three children and, and, um, you know, you want to be safe. So it's kind of, I'm still kind of going about my business, um, just a little safer than I was. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you know, yeah, as a parent, you, you have to, you have a obligation, a duty, responsibility, um, yeah, at this well, point. I mean, and they use the word essential and non-essential and for every human that has a different definition. Yeah. Pretty gray I mean, line. Money is essential <laughs> and work is essential. So, I mean, I'm just doing it a little differently than I did before. Um, a lot more solo photo shoots and things like that. And, um, you know, just being safer about it. Yeah. Good for you. Staying away from elderly people and things. Um, how, so we know that some of your trips are going to be kind of rescheduled, moved around, shuffled a bit, kind of mm-hmm. off the rails. Let's, I think, so what I want to talk about just in the context of what's in season, turkey hunting is here for some, going to be here for others very soon. And, you know, that's permitting whether or not their state is going to allow it, et cetera. Um, we haven't heard anything coming down the pipe here in Wisconsin that I'm aware of that that's going to not be the case here. Our DNR has been pretty good about making sure our public lands are open um, and keeping things in Great. season which is, I'm, I'm incredibly happy to be in the state where they're allowing that kind of stuff to still go on. But, um, you know, I think maybe let's touch on your uh, bourbon barrel calls. And then if we want to talk sure. a little bit of strategy, because you obviously have had already some success turkey hunting from what I could see online. So I'd love to unpack that. Yeah, yeah. Um, bourbon barrel calls was uh, was something that was kind of born last year. Um during turkey season and a lot of road miles. Um, I was down in Kentucky. Uh, combination, I was down there with an outfitter taking photos for them, and then I left their facility, and I went to a private piece of ground that I, I hunt on in northern Kentucky, close to where I moved from, and um, just kind of was thinking about different ideas about uh, – different products. I mean, obviously I don't design products for wicked tree gear anymore, uh, since I, you know, Todd and I sold that business several years ago, but I still love products. I still like design work. And, and right now I'm a consultant for mystery ranch backpacks. So that kind of keeps me involved in doing some design work and stuff, but I wanted my own product, um, that, I could do the marketing, I could do the content creation for, and almost just kind of test myself. So I have an eight-hour drive from Kentucky back to my house in Iowa, and from start to finish, the company was done. I mean, I had my marketing plan, my business plan. I had all my design features uh, that I wanted to do, the the different number of SKUs that I wanted to do. But it basically was birthed from my Kentucky background in bourbon and making a pot call out of reclaimed bourbon barrel lids. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are way more intelligent than I am that have predicted that with just normal uh, deforestation and with furniture making and things like that, that there's going to be a shortage of mature oak trees if we don't correct this issue. So Instead of taking uh, a viable resource, I'm taking something that's already had its life. You know, it already did what it's supposed to do, and using reclaimed bourbon barrel lids and turning them into turkey pot calls. Obviously, Kentucky is a is a big state for turkey hunting, um, and the popularity of bourbon is not going anywhere thanks to uh, 
Pinterest and, you know, things like that. So, um, the reason why I went with crystal as my striking surface is me personally. I like the sound. I like that raspy sound that you can get out of a crystal call. Um, plus it enabled me to do my marketing stuff that I wanted to do. So imagine a shadow box picture frame. That's what my Turkey call is. And that's why there's a krill, a, a clear crystal striking surface. So you can look into it. So that enabled me to do, uh, the sound boards out of charred wood. So it looks like you're looking into an empty bourbon barrel. That's, you know, uh, that's, that's got the revealing the charred wood, um, it, uh, it, you know, enabled me to do a copper soundboard that's got patina on it. So it looks like an old copper steel, you know, that would be out in the woods. Man, I just let my Kentucky accent come out there in the word <laughs> steel. Um, yeah, you called it a steel. A steel, yeah. And um, then um, doing the engraving. So if you look at a bourbon barrel lid, only about, five to 10% of that lid has branding on it where you'll see the words Jack Daniels, Jim B, Maker's Mark, bourbon, uh, distillery, you know, something on it. And about, you know, 90% of that doesn't have branding on it. So I knew that I had to come up with some different SKUs that would use that non-branded portion because I didn't want to have a bunch of waste. So that's where the the, the moonshiners call came from and doing the personalized engraved calls and things like that. Then you go to the striker, got to stay with the theme of the white Oak wood. So did a white Oak striker. I just got very lucky that a white Oak striker sounds very good on my call. Um, then doing the stamping, the logo on the butt of the striker, kind of a throwback to the wax ceiling uh, with makers mark and some other brands. Um, then packaging everything in a wooden box, um, and kind of completing, you know, completing the whole ensemble, if you will. Um, and then to give the brand a backstory, you know, that these pots are actually coming from actual real authentic, uh, reclaimed bourbon barrel lids and voila, you know, then you kind of have the whole package. We're going to take a quick break. Speaking about the whole package, let's take a moment to talk about the shot of the week. The shot of the week. All right. Welcome to our new segment brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. Premium arrows built to your specs. Uh, these guys make really, really high quality arrows that have the ability to penetrate and really knock a target over, um, whether that's a, a target that you're shooting target practice at, or that's the game you're shooting in the wild. Uh, based on your, your draw weight and your draw length, you send that information into Vector and they're going to give you an arrow that's going to have uh, an impact on your hunting. So to get some context around what we're doing here this week is our first week introducing vector custom shop and we're doing the shot of the week so what we want from you our listeners is to submit some of your craziest shots that could be your furthest shot your uh, closest shot your craziest shot the one that got away your best shot um, we want to hear what some of the shots have looked like that you've taken on deer in the woods and we want to share those stories on this episode in this segment. Um, and so what I'm going to do is to kick things off, I'm going to share one of my shots, one of my uh, closest encounter shots. I've lobbed plenty of arrows that never, that never landed. 
Um, but one that really got my heart pumping was it was a doe actually, and it was on public land. And I had gone out to a spot to hunt that I had scouted with my dad. And, uh, you know, I got to this area and, you know, I, I, I don't know if this was a stand that I just didn't see or if this guy had set up on a mobile hunt, but I got in there and I heard, and so sure enough, there's a hunter and uh, I was like, damn, you know, I, that's where I wanted to be. So then I got into a different area and a pretty promising area actually on this public property. So I was like, okay, well this, this is a good a spot as any, I'm far, I'm far enough away from this other guy here. And, um, it didn't take too long. And I saw, uh, two, two Dauphons come by and they were out of range and uh, then then, a, then a, a bigger doe came by and she was kind of out of range. And then I sat there for a little bit and then right behind me, I heard something. I'm like, ah, oh, is that another hunter? And I look and it's this doe and, and she didn't see me at all. And it was a 10 yard shot. And so I was sitting on the base of this tree and I got up and I did like, you know, one foot on the ground and my right knee on the ground. So left foot on the ground, right knee on the ground. And I, I drew back and uh, 10 yards, that thwack was super loud. So I let it rip and it was a clean shot to the heart and I found her and uh, dragged her out of there and, and had some good backstraps for dinner that night. But that was my closest shot, my um, shortest distance shot of 10 yards that I've ever taken. And it was super fun. So, um, you know, have some confidence at full draw and uh, check out VectorCustomShop.com. If you want to save some money, they, uh, they'll they give you a sample pack, two arrows to try out, to tune your bow to and make sure they work. And if you want to try them out, you can enter in code where the number two, the word hunt for 10% off. Let's get back to our interview with John. It's really That's unique. That's I'm yeah, I'm I'm just sorry, Greg, I interrupt you and I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good at it. It's fine. So I'm going to cut you off again. It's good. unique and it's craftsman and it's pretty custom feel. Um you got something that's uh that'll catch people's eye being that it's somewhat of a a, a custom somewhat of a custom build Paul. Well, I appreciate cool. it. it. It's been, it's been fun. Um, you know, and what it's, uh, you know, the other thing there, there's a lot of things that it's done. One, it keeps me fresh. It keeps kind of those creative juices flowing and I like products and stuff, but it served a couple of purposes. One being a content creator and photographer, it's allowed me to do my own stuff. Um, and doing the direct consumer business model, I really like, Instead of letting a dealer be in charge of your sales, you be in charge of your sales. You can also keep your margins a little higher, um, so it allows you to do more things with your own internal marketing, and you have more ad spend for yourself. The other part is it complements my company, Johnny Utah Creative. I offer marketing consulting services and product design services for people, so Bourbon Barrel Calls is my own Petri dish, if you will. I can test different theories and different ads and different content creation within my own company that's only costing me money. And if I find something that I hit on that I like that's resonating, then I can take that information and I can pass it on to my marketing consulting clients. So, you know, not a lot of people do that, you know, have their own case study that they can work on. Um, and it also kind of puts your money where your mouth is. You know, if you're going to tell somebody, hey, I do marketing consulting and I, and I know the outdoor industry from a brand perspective and product development perspective, they can say, okay, well, prove it to me. Well, I started a turkey call company in the middle of the whitetail rut. <laughs> I sold 200 and, 
17 calls to date right now, and I've spent exactly zero pennies in doing so. So it can be done. Now, am I going to go buy a Bentley? Well, I wouldn't go buy a Bentley anyways, but I don't have the money to do that. But it has produced a nice side income, and it's been a lot of fun uh, producing something really cool. Um, and it's allowed me to, you know, co-brand and work with a lot of different companies. So it's been a win-win and, and I'm kind of introducing my sons into the business a little bit and kind of getting their heads wrapped around, you know, product development and that entrepreneurship that has been me since I was literally seven years old selling blow pops and Mountain Dews on the school bus. That's awesome. What I, what I liked, maybe not most, but what I enjoyed about what you had said is, you know, I've seen these things. They've they've tipped my radar. It's how we got in touch, I think. And um, it took a little bit for me to connect the dots that it was you and I did. And I was like, oh, okay. But the perception from the outside in is these things are artisan. They're super cool. And cool, cool, cool is the word, word, word that I keep, you know, kind of thinking about. But there's more mm-hmm. to it when you talk about the lifespan of our trees and how people are building furniture and that you're using something that's already had its life. And then you you yes. kind of you know, couple that with bourbon and the roots of Kentucky. And I mean, what a beautiful brainchild and a great place for you to have that testing grounds. It's no wonder it's it's doing well. It, you're, you're pulling from a place of creativity. That's like, it's almost like you were meant to do this or something. It's really, it's really something. Well, and then even a step further, my degree that was issued from Eastern Kentucky university is in turf and horticulture. So, um, you know, that's another element, you know, to it as well. And, and we're finalizing the details on a partnership with a, a group called the White Oak Initiative. And what we're doing is for every call that we sell, $5 is going to the White Oak Initiative. And that is actually the leading researcher and, and foundation that is um, going to be pushing this movement of planting more white oak trees so we don't have any issues. Wow. Um, and and what circle. tree does a, a gobbler like to roost in? A white oak tree. So, white oak um, trees. Yep. Yep. So it's kind of a neat deal how it's all come together. It, and Was it all been, that strategic or did it kind of start to fall into place as you went? Because if you told me on this 10-hour car ride you thought of all of these things, I would call you a genius. Well, it's literally, it was an eight-hour drive. I mean, I got home. And my wife's like, oh, hey, how was your trip? And I'm like, hold on. Ran to my office and literally started writing everything down, you know. And then I got all my notes in place so I didn't forget anything. And I was like, okay, how's everybody doing? You know, what I missed while I was gone on the trip. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, it was literally a, an eight-hour drive. And I had a couple of buddies that along the drive I bounced a couple of ideas off of, like Chad Sylvester from Exodus Trail Cameras, um, another yeah. super smart business guy that I'll, I'll bounce, um, I'll bounce some finance type logistic ideas off of. He's really good with that. And, um, I had a couple of buddies that are just outside the box thinkers that aren't really business guys, but they're good creative guys and bounced a couple of ideas. And, and literally like every phone call was dude, home run, dude, home run, dude, home run. And then, you know, we've been able to do some cool stuff with Sam Soholt and the public land tees deal. Um, it's just, it's kind of cool how, how it keeps uh, branching off and spiraling and 
gone, you know, going in different directions. Um, had one guy try to rip it off. One guy tried to make some calls called whiskey barrel calls. Um, and I got a little worried at first. I was like, Oh crap, I got competition. You know what I mean? Um, but he sold four. So I wasn't too worried about that, but, um, well, you yeah, seem to be one hell of an executor though. Cause like, you never one that said home run, home run, home run. It's great to have the idea and the concept, but not that many people can execute the way that you have. Well, and that's that's the thing. Like I've always said, you know, there's a lot of great ideas out there, um, and there's a lot of great products that just never did make it in the market because of they just didn't get the traction or bad luck or whatever. And um, you know, and and there's there's definitely some luck that comes into it. Um, but timing is huge. I mean, would I have been better to launch this thing in turkey season? Sure. Um, but I chose whitetail season for a reason. Uh, I wanted to catch that Christmas season right off the bat. Um, but, I, you know, I started the company with $378. That's all I had. I had 378 bucks, like literally in a checking account. And that's what it cost me to be able to buy the materials to make the first 10 calls. Then once I sold those 10, then I had more money, then I could buy more materials and make 20, then, then I could buy make 40, then I could make 60, you know what I mean? So you really bootstrapped just, it, yeah. You know, bootstrapped this thing along. I mean, uh, it would have been awesome to go to the bank and be like, hey, I need 10 grand so I can launch this thing. So in the beginning, my margins were very small, and now the margins are getting better because I'm able to buy in bulk and stuff. But, um, you know, I'm hand-assembling all these things myself in the – in the, in the bourbon barrels headquarters, which I've made very clear is my basement of my house. And, <laughs> bourbon uh, barrel headquarters. That's great. Yeah, I do, I do videos all the time. I'm like, there. coming to you live from the bourbon barrels HQ. It sounds cool. My basement. I'm like, where, where is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someday, maybe someday I'll have i I'll have a shop or something That's or I'll rent some space. But no, for the time being, everything's assembled down there in the basement and, um, I make daily drives to the post office and they probably hate me and, you know, shipping out calls every day, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun, man. So I did, I did tune into the, uh, the Exodus episode. We've talked to those guys, um, mm-hmm. on our show and, and I talked to their marketing guy quite a bit to, for similar reasons, bouncing those creative ideas off each other. But on there, I heard them ask, you know, how many of these things just sit and look pretty versus getting used because it's such a cool uh-huh. piece, right? It's not, Yeah, it's something to be admired. Yeah. It seems like. It's funny. Cause I've had people that'll tell me they'll buy it and they'll say, you know, I'm never going to take this out in the woods. I'm like, no dude, take it out in the woods. It sounds great. You know? And then one guy bought it, said he was never going to use it. And then I guess he couldn't resist it. And he went ahead and conditioned it and struck it a few times. And he calls me and he goes, dude, I actually thought this was like a novelty piece. I didn't actually know it sounded good. He's like, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you. He goes, this thing legitimately sounds great. It's the best sounding call I've ever owned. And I'm like, yeah, cool. (laughs) You know? So it's it's good to hear. That's cool. So turkey hunting, what is the picture I just saw with you holding a big ass bird? Where, where did you get that? That was also, that was Florida last week. So that was, was, okay. uh, That was my Osteola. It was um, 19 pounds, two ounces. He had an inch and a quarter spurs and a 10 and a half inch beard, which 
Um, compared to like Wisconsin and Iowa, Kentucky, like those aren't big numbers, but in Florida, that's a big bird. Um, it was a real big bird actually. So, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. Get down those there. Birds don't have the, those birds don't have the, the hard winters we have, so they don't have to be. No, no, they don't have the hard winters. Um, but, um, they, sure they don't, cool I don't know if they just don't eat a lot or what they just, they, yeah, they don't get, uh, they don't get real big. Greg, you, need to. you're going turkey hunting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I got two tags. Um, it, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think my first season's the end of April, and my second is middle to end of May or something like that. So I got I got two tags in my pocket. First one, I'm going to go chase with a bull. If it doesn't go well, I'll break out the boomstick and then there you go. Try to get yeah, try to try to get after it that way, but. We'll see. Right now, most of the spots that I hunt, I haven't seen any birds running around anywhere. So wait till it greens up a little bit and things kind of settle down with the weather here, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, I start seeing some birds. Do you guys? Do either of you guys yeah. play any like particular type of strategy in terms of like scouting or calling? Obviously, the bird barrel calls, and I'm hoping you're using those. But like I know people talk about like the diaphragm, and you know how how do you go about it? Right. Like everyone's got their different approach. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm fortunate in Kentucky that I, I've got a couple of pieces that I just know there's a lot of birds on it. Um, and, but I like, uh, I'm a, I like open fields because I'm always with a bow. I'm always in a ground blind. So I like open fields and I like being, uh, or logging roads, you know, um, that's probably my number one preferred place if I can get to. If there's like some logging roads that are cut through uh, through the timber, you know, birds, in my opinion, the majority of the birds that I've hunted and killed, they like to walk in the short grass and, you know, things like that. So if I can find like a logging road that's been mowed down through a field, uh, that seems to be a good strut zone area. But the other reason for that is a lot of times in these logging roads you'll have like an x or you'll have a couple of roads that meet and i'll set up in the x and it's not so much x marks the spot is that i can set up my decoys in the x and birds can see my decoy spread a long ways away you know down through those so if one pops out in that road he's going to see my decoys you know um I usually try to find, or, you know, obviously the way I set up is for more aggressive birds that are going to come to me, not hunting with a shotgun. I'm not getting out there in the timber and like walking around and calling. And then when I hear a bird and then try to close the distance and get on him, um, I'll do that a little bit in a, in an afternoon situation if I can. But, um, yeah, man, hunting out of a blind and a decoy spread, sometimes it makes for some long sits because I'm really trying to get those birds to come in. But I like, um, I like ridge tops. I try to find where I've got a bunch of roost trees, you know, a lot of, you know, big oaks and things like that. Um, if I've got cows, I'll try to set up pretty close to the cattle. And, um, just because, you know, it seems like those Easterns are always flipping over, you know, cow crap and stuff in the field, looking for bugs and everything else. But um, my strategy is once I get set up, I will always have a Jake. Um, I use the Dave Smith decoys. 
I, I'm not sponsored by them. I've never received a discount by them, but it's they're the best decoys that I've personally used. And the detail usually, looks amazing. Oh, they're just they're crazy. It's just it's unbelievable how realistic. I mean, you fall asleep and you know <laughs> nod off and wake up, and if you're not careful, you'll almost come to full draw on your decoy. <laughs> and I usually have a Jake set up about oh seven to ten yards away from me. I'll have him facing me, and then further away from me, I will have. Um, Usually a, a feeding hen, I'm sorry, I'll do the feeding hen a little bit closer to me. I'll take the breeding hen and tuck it up underneath that jake, and then I'll have uh, an upright hen a little further away from me and kind of make a triangle shape out of that decoy spread. But um, for me, I if I can get that jake or that strutter to come in and circle um, to the side, or if he's going to go behind that Jake, then that puts him in a really good position for me to shoot him without having a decoy in my position. Uh, also, it seems like if the str- if the Jake is looking, if a hen is looking at you, um, it doesn't seem to work out as well. But the, with the Jake facing me, um, and that way the that strutter can come and like he's going to challenge him head on uh, or come at him sideways. It usually gives me a pretty good shot. Um, I'm I'm a body shot guy on turkeys with a bow, um, and that's kind of I know there's a lot of head shooters out there, and that's just not me. I just I shoot them in the body and try to take out the hip, take out the legs um, right above the leg joint, and you can get into some vitals and. You know, with a big fat Eastern, if he can't run to take off to get a start, worst case scenario, you can bail out of the blind and recover the bird. That's interesting. I, Greg, you, you don't shoot that, do you? Well, I'm using a shotgun. This will be the first time I go after one with a bow. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm always shooting for the head. It's a small target. Yeah, it's a small target with a bow. I mean, you got her you better be really confident in your shooting abilities. I mean, if you can hit a softball out to 40 yards, I think you could at least hit the neck of a Turkey, you know, at the base maybe, but mm-hmm. body shots, you, you got to go with what you're confident in. And like Johnny's saying is you, you clip their, clip their wings, clip their, clip their legs out from them. They're falling down and flopping around. You bail out of your blind or your brush pile or whatever you're staying in. You can recover that bird ring its neck or, just let it expire hanging it upside down and it'll it's not going anyplace yeah yeah i don't know if i could shoot the head mainly because i'm probably not that good of a shot but additionally i just don't know about that and i know a lot of guys do and that's like a big thing is that to preserve the meat is that the other than like it's such a cool challenge to accomplish like if you actually shoot the head you're a good shot like what's is it both bow hunt shoot them in the body i mean you know, I, I'll be totally honest. I mean, I've lost some birds, you know, over the years. Um, there's not a lot of vitals. You miss that leg joint, and they're able to run off real, you know, real good. A turkey is really good. An injured turkey will run into the timber, and I've seen them literally bury themselves under a leaf pile or bury themselves under a cedar blowdown or something. And I've even actually seen a, a gobbler lift his wing and tuck his head under his wing. 
and I walked past that bird seven times before I literally like tripped over him. I just, I thought it was a pile of leaves or a rock or something. Uh, it's amazing how, how well they can disguise themselves, but they go and they're injured. And just like a lot of animals, they'll go and try to bed up somewhere when they're injured and kind of recess, you know, the situation. But a lot of guys started going for the headshots because the theory was if you miss them, you miss them clean. If you hit them, they're dead. Um, so that kind of sparked a lot of that. I like that concept of it. That, that, I can get down with that concept quite a bit. So the, the it makes sense, or the, or the and, dead and I totally get it. There's a couple of different broadheads out there. Uh, Magnus Bullhead makes one that's uh, pretty popular. Um, the idea is getting them to fly right. You know, a lot of guys talk about, you know, 20, 25 yards, they're good. After that, they kind of hook or slice real bad like in golf. But, um, man, I tell you, I last year I was shooting the G5 V2 striker and had awesome results uh this year i'm shooting the new g5 striker x and um man it just it pummeled that osceola i mean he ran 10 yards and just fell over and it was you know you could have blood tracked him like you would a deer jeez i know we're greg and i go ahead greg how wide is that x head oh let's see Inch, inch, and shoot, I should probably know that off the top of my head. Inch and a quarter, inch and, inch and a half. Inch and a quarter, okay. Um, but because it's in that X and they're, all four blades are the same size, um, it's pretty it's pretty substantial, you know. I mean, it's a big square, you know, essentially what it what it did. And we were, we were looking at the entry and exit on my bird and um, – you know, somebody at the camp was like, did you shoot him with a slug? <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's quite the devastating hole. Oh, wow. And you're a whitetail hunter too? I'm sorry? Are you a whitetail hunter too? Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. I mean, whitetail hunting is really where I started. Um, turkeys just kind of became a thing for me, um, just out of, you know, not simply, not so much out of boredom, but it was like, man, I, I, you know, I really enjoy hunting and I want to get into something else. And, you know, what can I get into in the spring? And uh, a buddy of mine back home introduced me to turkey hunting. And my, my very first uh, Eastern I shot with a shotgun. And then after that, somebody's like, hey, you ought to, you know, since you're a bow hunter, I'm surprised you don't bow hunt turkeys. I'm like, you can do that? So then I got into bow hunting them and, um, the last animal that I ever killed with a gun actually was, was a turkey. So I've been, um, I've been exclusively bow only for every animal for the last, I guess, 11 years, 12 years. Holy crap. Wow. So I don't know if you've listened to the show before, but we didn't get a chance to kind of, uh, brief you with the lay of the land. And I think you've navigated it just perfectly fine, which is great. It's not like it's complicated, but, uh, usually I plant the seed, and have you think about your most memorable hunt. And uh, I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't get to plant that seed. Um, anything come to mind if you – we're ready for a story here, so we're going to sit back, sip our drinks on this side, and, and just listen. Uh, but if you have a memorable hunt, we'd love to hear it. Um, man, there's 
there's been a bunch, um, but one that the one that I give the nod to would probably be kind of how I think everything started for me as far as getting into this industry and and stuff. Um, my first film hunt was back uh, 2013. I had just joined up with White Knuckle Productions, and a buddy of mine, he, he said, man, I, I, you know, I'm hunting this piece of property and you're more than willing to come out here and hunt with me. He said, but, uh, you know, I don't film any of my hunts and you've been given an opportunity to film a hunt that's going to go on this show and on a DVD. And, and I just, I would rather see you get the first arrow, you know, on this property. And he gave, he gave up the property to me and we went and I ran a bunch of cameras, uh, identified, you know, a deer that I really wanted to go after. So we knew that getting into this spot was going to be very, very tough. And this is early season Kentucky. So we're talking early, you know, early September, it's super hot, super buggy running Ozonix the entire time. Uh, we know that we're going to have to get in and get in super early. He made one condition. I will let you hunt this deer on my property, but you have to let me run the video camera. So I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I, it's better than self-filming, right? He falls and breaks his wrist the night before the opener. So now he can't climb trees. So we had all this this was all set up perfectly. We already had our tree stand hung, trimmed out. You know, we had the kill spot. So now we have to sneak in with a ground blind. It's like 98 degrees and brush this thing in. We sneak in, get it all done. We're wearing shorts and tank tops, you know, just trying to not sweat as much. We crawl into the blind at like 2 p.m. We have no idea exactly when this deer was going to start transitioning down through this creek valley and so we get in and of course we sit there and almost die of dehydration we wait about probably about four hours and we see the deer uh, coming coming from this ridge down to the creek to we're assuming you know coming down there to get something to drink and and running the ozonics you know what i mean uh he walks right into the scent cone and i made a 32 yard shot this deer runs about about 40 yards and we have everything on video and we make the recovery and it's my first legit nice buck you know what I mean that I shot with my bow ever and it's the first one on video um and you know we ended up using that on uh, the DVD for White Knuckle Productions No Rest for the Wicked uh that was the DVD that it came out on and uh, that that buck ended up going like 159, just shy of 159, um, and you know that it was at that point that I realized that I wanted to film all of my hunts, that I enjoyed sharing my stories, and and I wanted to do something in this industry in some regard. I didn't know how or it was all going to happen or what what was going to happen and. You know, the crazy thing is, I mean, this was just 2013, and it's just now, you know, 2020. And um, so it's kind of crazy how things have things have taken off and escalated from there. But, you know, I always say that that hunt – and the reason why I was so aggressive on that buck 
is I actually had a conversation with Todd and uh, the night before the hunt, and he said, so why aren't you planning a hunt to go kill him yet? I'm like, well, man, I just, I don't want to blow him out. It's early season. It's super warm. And I'm going to be putting, you know, be putting off all this scent. And his words were, if you know where he's at, go kill him. And that kind of stuck with me. Um, and, you know, we, that's exactly what we did. You know, we, we knew where he was going to be transitioning from and we kind of, just said screw it let's let's just go kill him we went in and killed him and it was done now the only bad part about that season was you know you go this is early september and i'm watching everybody else hunt from the sidelines you know kentucky being a one buck state and at that time it wasn't in the cards to do a bunch of traveling and try to do some destination hunts and you know stuff like that i was just so jacked that i'd gotten this buck on video and you know it was going to make it to a dvd and whatnot um uh, it, it was just kind of crazy from there. Then things kept just kind of growing from there. Um, 2014 and 15 and then 16 moving to Iowa. And it just, it's been a, been a pretty wild ride. That's for sure. That's something, man. That's super cool. What are the odds of him breaking his wrist tonight before? Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, and, and, you know, looking back on it, like, dude, that's just my life. Like that's, <laughs> how things work for me um extremely bad odds or you know unfortunate situations horribly bad luck um and i've just always been that person that is like i don't care what the odds are i don't care what it takes just get it done like are you depressed okay no i'm not put that thought out of your head um you know, set goals and knock them down and, and don't let anything stand in your way. It may not happen overnight, but if you believe it and you have the the drive to do it, uh, then you can, you can do anything you want to do. If, if people say, well, I don't know how to do that, or I'm not skilled enough to do that. There's YouTube videos for it. Yeah. Um, you can learn what you want to do. And I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even own, a video camera until a week before that hunt. I didn't buy my first DSLR camera until the summer of 2015. Um, I always laugh when people say, where do you see yourself in five years? Who fucking knows, man. And that's funny for me because I remember I used to think, oh my God, five years, like, that's like forever. You know what I mean? Um, my life is drastically different, you know, than what it was five years ago. You know, five years ago, I was a cone or of wicked tree gear, you know, was at that five, at five years ago, I hadn't even, I didn't even own a camera yet. had never taken a photo in my entire life. Um, was just starting to kind of figure out a camcorder a little bit and filming some hunts and, and co-owning wicked. Um, but I was still arresting people for a living you know, living in Kentucky, I never in a million years would I've ever dreamed that, you know, in five years I'd be self-employed as a photographer and have a hunting show and being able to travel all over the place and do exactly what it is I want to do, you know? That's cool. How did you get in law enforcement? Um, so I was landscaping in Lexington, Kentucky, and one of my next door neighbors, um, this guy, Keith, he worked for the Lexington Metro Police, and 
after work, we would hang out on the back decks of each other's house, grilling, smoking and joking or whatever, you know, and, and I'm like, so what'd you do today? And he just, he had cool stories. I mean, simply he just, he had cooler stories than I did. And he, he asked me one day, he's like, Hey, why don't you go become a cop? And I said, well, I, I thought that was one of those things, like a legacy thing. Like, you know, your dad had to be a cop or your uncle had to be a cop or, you know, something. And he's like, no, no, that's really not the way it is anymore. Um, they just need good, honest people that just want to do the job. And I said, well, it sounds cool. Of course, he's telling me all the cool stories, high speed <laughs> and the shoot 'em ups and all that kind of stuff. Little did I know that there's a ton of paperwork and political bureaucracy and everything that comes along with it as well. But, you know, I got into it. Um, and I remember even telling my wife this. She's like, really? You're going to be a cop? I'm like, yeah be awesome. You get to learn about the law. I'll get to learn how to shoot guns really well. I'll get to learn some tactical stuff, some defensive tactics, uh, high speed driving and stuff. I was like, what, what doesn't sound cool about that? I'm like, but really, I just want to do it for a couple of years until I figure out what I really want to be when I grow up. And, you know, 16 years later, I was finally getting out of that career. Wow. Life is a journey, man. A race car driver, policeman, um, landscaper, business owner, photographer, turkey hunting maniac, bourbon barrel dude. Like, yeah. What a <laughs> your story is not too dissimilar from Sam Solds when we had him on. He's just talking. I went from this to that to that to this to this to that, and it's like things just keep progressing yeah. when you keep pressing. Like what you focus on is what moves, and you know yeah, there's a I'm there's very, a lot of time in a day. Impulsive. Yeah, and I go kind of all in. Um, so years ago when I was rifle hunting only, I remember shooting a buck one time in Kentucky, and I went back to the store owner that sold me the rifle, and he's like, hey, man, you know, you getting fired up for deer season this year? And I'm like, eh. He's like, dude, what what the heck, man? You, you love deer hunting. And I'm like, yeah, just last year I shot that buck, and – I mean, it's the biggest buck I've ever killed, but it just didn't do anything for me. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, in previous years, you know, even a doe, I'd get like super pumped up. You know what I mean? Uh, get that buck fever and you go and you ground check the animal and you're texting your buddies or calling your buddies. And I said, man, I just, I just didn't have that. And I do like hunting, but I almost felt like it just, it just wasn't hard enough and I needed more of a challenge. So he's like, well, I'll tell you what you need. You need a bow. And I'm like, well, look, I, <laughs> I got a two-year-old at home. Like, that's the last thing I need is to try to explain to my wife I'm going to drop a grand to $2,000 on, you know, bow equipment. And um, so he says, well, I'll tell you what. He was a Matthews dealer. And he says, um, being a Matthews dealer, they allow me to give away one bow a year um, out of the shop and I'm going to give you the free bow this year. And I'm like, are you serious? Well, you're like, why me? Like I literally bought a used 270 from you once, you know, like I'm not your big customer. Like, shouldn't you give it to somebody who spends more money? And he's like, uh, I just have a feeling that you're going to do something with archery someday. Oh, wow. Man. I'm like, huh, that's cool. Interesting. So I, I just kind of wrote that off. I didn't think anything about that, you know, at all. He gives me the bow, sold me a used sight and a used rest, and, and I bought some arrows, and 
and I'm like, wow, this is a challenge. This is the challenge I was looking for. Like now I have that super jacked up feeling again that I had the first time I shot, you know, a deer with a rifle. So that was kind of how it all started. And, and we actually, we had a conversation um, here about a month or so ago. And I'm like, Joe, I was like, you remember when you gave me that bow years ago? And he's like, yeah. And I said, you know, you told me I was going to do something with archery. And he starts laughing. He's like, yeah. He goes, now, granted, I didn't think it was going to turn into this per se. Um, he's like, you've taken this shit to a whole nother level. But what I will say is, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you do. You don't do anything half-assed. Like you are all in, like pot committed. He's like, when you were driving that damn, those damn race cars, he's like, you know, you had the best car and you had to have the best equipment and, you know, you, you did well. And when you were landscaping, he's like, dude, you went from a wheelbarrow to five trucks in like two years, you know, he's just everything you do, like you're definitely laser focused in on it and uh, you just have that knack for it. So he's like, I knew by giving you a bow, you were going to do big things. And he's like, and you, you know, you didn't disappoint. So, and you know, and that meant the world to me hearing that compliment from him, you know, that he gave me a bow and he obviously, you know, he doesn't have any regrets about giving me that bow and I was able to do something with it. And, and it's not just that I've made a career out of this. I mean, you know, I teach hunter safety classes and being in a position that I can do this project with white Oak initiative. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't promote it. Um, just cause I feel good deeds you don't need to promote, but I mean, I do, I give away a lot of stuff. I give away a lot of equipment to people, to, you know, less fortunate hunters that are wanting to get into it and don't have the means to get into it. And, you know, it's unfortunate hunting can get as expensive as you want to get it. And I try to help out as many people as I can, new hunters or new photographers and stuff like that. I mean, to the point where my wife's like, seriously, it's midnight. It's time to go to bed. And I'm like, yeah, but I got two more questions. Yeah, I, I think you answer. and I talked pretty late you know, one night. Came in through Instagram. And I think I remember you telling me you're a bit of an idol. You and I were talking about Gary Vaynerchuk a little bit. And he said pot committed. And I know I hear him say that a lot. And uh, he said, man, I've been saying what Gary V's been saying for a long time. It's cool to hear someone else talk about it the way I do. It's pretty cool. I just, I like it, man. I, it shouldn't all be a take, you know, there should be as much of a give. And now I will say that as time's gone on as busier and busier that I'm getting, it is harder and harder to answer every single question or to get back to every person and stuff. And, um, especially with the traveling and in season and stuff like that. And, and unfortunately, every once in a while you run into somebody that sends you a question and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm like, well, you know, just give me a second and I'll get back to you. And then, you know, they message you the next day and like, yeah, you're a jerk. You never, re you know, return my message. And I'm like, damn it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Hard. Like I, yeah. you know, was working, you know, but, um, it doesn't happen very often, but usually everybody seems like they're very appreciative, you know, whenever I get a chance to answer them. Yeah. I never take it personally, but I'm a pest too. I, I don't give up. I'll just keep going. No, I, and I like that. <laughs> Sometimes I need reminders because I can get yeah. sidetracked. Really That's how easy. I am. I need I need reminders constantly. I actually don't mind cold callers. Sometimes I'm like, good, you actually reached me at the right time because I don't have time to call you. <laughs> but hey, uh, there's a couple folks still in the in the live, um, you know, viewing. If anybody wants to call in, ask some questions for Johnny about anything. Uh, we didn't even talk about the archery stuff you're doing with uh, Arrow Wild TV or like the TV stuff. Um, 
you know, I just want to put that out there. If folks want to call in now, it's a good time to do that. We'll take a couple of calls if we can. We're, you know, rolling over the eight o'clock hour, depending on where you're from in the country. Maybe it's nine, maybe it's seven, whatever. Um, but most folks are home, I think. And if you want to pop on, the number's on the screen. So give us a call and uh, we'll, we'll bring you in the show here. But we can keep we can keep shooting the breeze, you know, for a little bit, see if anyone wants yeah. to call in. And, um, you know, what, what, and I'll interrupt you with the sound effects. So if someone calls in, don't worry, I got, I got a sound for that. But uh, what, what are you doing with uh, Arrow Wild TV? I saw the logo development there. And as a graphic designer and logo developer myself, I was like, oh, that's freaking cool, you know? Oh, appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously I started out with white knuckle productions, you know, Todd gave me an opportunity to join on that show and <clears throat> excuse me. And that gave me my introduction to networking with sponsors, finding out exactly what the business owners, what they needed, what kind of promotion they needed to help, you know, sell their products and get their brand out there. Um, I decided I wanted to branch off. I was getting more into photography and the short film side of things. So it was just a natural progression. It was time to branch off and kind of stand on my own two feet kind of thing and started Airwild TV, uh, working with a couple of different companies. And and basically Airwild TV consists of, um, you know, me as the host. And then I've got a couple of buddies that, you know, they have kind of an open invitation. You know, you, you film some epic stuff. You've got a cool hunt. You know, I'll throw it on an episode, you know, for you. But um, travels, kind of keeping that concept that it's a, it's a 12-month-a-year lifestyle, you know, bow hunting, whether it starts out with, uh, with shed hunting, then turkeys, then food plotting, and trail cameras, mineral, hanging stands, then you get into the actual season. And, and as I've progressed with bow hunting, it's not just turkeys and whitetails. You know, I've been very fortunate to go out to Montana and chase antelope, which I'll be doing again this year. Nice. Uh, Canada black bear, which I'm doing again. Um, Idaho elk, I'm actually hunting with uh, with crispy boots. And then um, I'm going out to Kansas and chasing whitetails with the guys over at Headhangers. Um, so it's just, it's been... It's been really, really cool uh, heading to back to Kentucky to chase velvet whitetails with uh, my buddies over at Whitetail Heaven Outfitters. So um, it's it's neat that uh, it's been able to continue to progress. And, and, and I have a lot of, like I said, I like sharing the stories. I like, I like the engagement with the show. Um, I like, you know, video and hunts and things like that. But, you know, if I had to admit my sole focus his uh, transition more to still, you know, yet photography and short film, but I've got an awesome, awesome editor. I have to give him a shout out. Wade James owns a company, AdLift Collective, him and his wife, Tab. They're the dynamic duo, but they, they are the, they're what makes me look good on Arrow Wild TV. Nice. Basically, I send them a bunch of footage and they make it look a lot better than, than what it is. Um, so he's uh, him and I. We hooked up a couple of years ago, and and in the early days it was like, hey, wait, this is kind of what I'm thinking. And now I just give him footage, and he knows me well enough that he's able to piece it together for me and tell a, a clear and concise story. So he's a uh, he's my all star man. He's my rock. And and talking about a good dude, I mean, he's one of those guys that makes me want to be a better guy. You know what I'm saying? So um, and and throughout this whole thing. I'll be honest, like what it comes down to is working with the right people 
and the right companies that share your vision and share your passion and are as big of a champion as you are, you know what I mean, for pushing you, uh, you know, and vice versa. So that's what I've found through the industry. I still love the industry. There's things that get on my nerves from time to time, but um, if you if you work with the right people and like-minded people, then, you know, you can't go wrong. And that, that goes with anything in life, you know what I mean, not just the hunting industry. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely. I think... Um... And no calls. Hey guys, come on. Uh, there was one question that came in to the comments from Zach Hoheisel, who's been on the show. He's called in a, a number of times, so we call him a fan maybe at this point. He actually does some pretty cool video work himself, but uh, he said, ask Johnny how Hannah, how, how Hannah Barron was in person. Princess or the badass she looks like on social media? A hundred percent. So I was, uh, I've known Hannah through the industry just, you know, here, there, shake hands, hey, how are you? But we actually got to spend a lot of time together uh, this past September at Whitetail Heaven. She was hunting there with those guys. And here's what I'll tell you. I've made it very clear that I can be a little tough on the Instagram huntress. Um, I don't usually hide behind that. I wonder if you, who's, who's um, better or worse. You were uh, T&K hunting gear. <laughs> <laughs> he might be a little more harsh. <laughs> than I am. I love that guy. I'm, I'm just be real. You know what I mean? Um, whether it's guys or girls, you know what I mean? But, uh, Hannah rolls into camp, super friendly, super nice. We're chit chatting, hanging out because she got to camp late. She kind of got last dibs on hunting stands and the stand that she went to was the stand that no one, none of the other hunters wanted. She went to the stand by herself. She smokes a beautiful velvet eight-pointer, a giant, giant eight, just gorgeous, giant G2s. I had a blast taking those photos for her. And we take a bunch of photos. Everybody eats dinner. Everybody kind of disappears. And I'm like, hey, where'd Hannah go, you know, run off to? And I see the lights on at the barn. This is 4 o'clock in the morning. I walk down to the barn. She's field dressing her deer by herself and she's got her hands inside the deer not rummaging around like she's looking for things she knows exactly what she's doing she's got blood up to her shoulders and yeah a beast and i walked over to her and i shook her hand i said hey you know sometimes i can give people a rough time uh but you just earned my respect right here right now you've got all my respect so uh, since then, we stay in contact. We usually text, chit-chat back and forth at least once a week. And I'm going to be going down to Alabama this June to go noodling catfish with oh, yeah. her and her dad. So um, she's um, she's legit. She's the real deal. And, and um, she's done a very good job of conducting herself as a lady, uh, great ambassador of the sport um, and the outdoors um, and I think a lot of young women who are getting into hunting, um, can look up to her and see how she's navigated her way. And, and she's done a really good job. That answers Zach's question. I think, uh, Greg, do you got anything over there? Uh, camera gear. What do you like shooting for, for a camera? Uh, I'm currently running a Sony a seven three. Um, in my opinion, it is the best bang for the buck 
in a DSLR or video format. Um, full frame camera, shoots 4K, excellent low light, and it has the, uh, this model was the first model that Sony did with their new battery. Uh, whereas an example, the previous models, my buddies were going through three batteries before I had to tap into my second one. Um, my per two preferred lenses are uh, 16 to 35 and a 70 to 200. Uh, those are my two favorite lenses that I'll always travel with. And uh, if any of your listeners are looking to get into camera equipment, um, I have a discount code that I can offer up through Bedford Cameras, uh, Bedford Outdoors, Bedford Cameras. Um, the code is Johnny Utah, J-O-H-N-N-Y Utah, no spaces, and it'll knock 5% off their order. Anybody that's familiar with electronics, 5% is actually a big discount. There's not a lot of markup in camera and lens equipment to begin with. It's not like cars and you know, other things. So, uh, but that'll knock off 5% for them and there's no strings attached. I mean, you don't have to do anything special to get that discount. That's cool. cool. That's cool. Do you, do you, do you use that for both video and photography? And it's pretty good in both realms. I do. Yep, what are I you do. running for a I mic do. then I mean, on that? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, operating a DSLR, uh, in video mode is a little more tricky you know, yep. than, than with a camcorder. Um, but um, it, it's just, you know, it takes a little more time to to get, you know, to get comfortable using it as a video camera, um, especially tracking objects like animals moving and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I use it for, for both. That's cool. I know a lot of guys will use it for like their B-roll stuff to get that nice shallow depth of field and, um, you know, uh-huh. I remember back when I was shooting DSLRs, when it was the, I had the Canon T4i as an entry camera. And, you know, the reason I got that one yep. was, you know, well, the motor's quieter on this one. So you're not going to pick that up on as feedback, you know, versus some of the other things on the market. Sure. But that was a while ago. That was like 2013 or something like that. So it's been mm-hmm. a minute for me. That was seven years ago already, which is hard to believe. Yeah. My, my first camera, I had a, I had a T, T5i. Uh, that was the first camera that I bought in 2015, and then then I went to a Canon uh, 5D Mark III. Oh yeah, um, shit. I went. I switched to that camera whenever I joined the Sitka Ambassador team, and just because I knew how much Sitka pushed photography, and I'm like, oh boy, I better up my photo game a little bit here. But um, and again, talking about going all in, pot committed, you know, right off the bat. I'm like, ugh, I hope this works out. I just dropped a lot of coin on this. But <laughs> I kept that camera all the way up until I made the switch to Sony. And I had been on the fence for about a year uh, about switching to Sony. And um, finally, I pulled the trigger. And for the first 30 days, I was probably regretting it. But then after that, I'm like, oh, man, I'm glad I did it. I could never see myself going back. That's cool. Well, thanks for the tips. And thanks for, thanks for, I mean, obviously with as much stuff that you got going on, um, your time is valuable and we respect it and appreciate you being on our show. And hopefully our listeners, you know, there's plenty of nuggets to be taken out of this episode. We appreciate it a whole bunch. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. I I like, I like doing these and, uh, it's a lot of fun talking with fellow hunters and stuff like that. And I know we've kind of messaged and commented back and forth on Instagram and stuff like that. So it's actually nice to talk to you guys and 
kind of put a voice and uh, personality, you know, with uh, with the Instagram handle. But whenever <laughs> or before we jumped on here and you were like, hey, are you good to go? I was literally on my phone loading up my new episode clips and teasers and swipe ups uh, on Instagram. I actually just dropped in there a wild episode. Uh, nice. Just right before we got on the podcast. Nice. Well, it's good timing. You, you handle it well. And we jumped on and you came on and it was all good to go there. Where where should we um, direct people to go with all the stuff you have going on? Is there a good central place for them to kind of engage with you and then spawn off from there? Or do you want to point them in a couple different directions here? Yeah, I mean, probably the main thing is um, I'm hardly ever on my personal Facebook. But uh, the main thing that I'm on is Instagram. It's uh, johnny.utah.hunt. And then from there... Um, Arrow Wild TV, and there is matching Facebooks for Johnny Utah Hunt and Arrow Wild TV. And if they're just wanting to look at like marketing and photography only type stuff, um, that would be Johnny Utah Creative, uh, same Facebook and Instagram. Or if they're uh, interested in picking up a bourbon barrel call and you want to go into the end of the jungle this year with a little bit of bourbon uh, in your call, then bourbon barrel calls on Instagram and Facebook. Sweet. Cool. All right, guys, gals, thanks for tuning in to the live session. Uh, I think that was a pretty good show. We're going we're gonna to end the live seminar session or whatever you want to call it now. And then uh, we'll, we'll, stay, we'll keep you online for just a minute here. But uh, cool. have a good night, everybody. Have a good night. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, if you've made it this far, you're a top fan and an avid listener, and we appreciate you. If you haven't already left us a review on iTunes, uh, that'd be great. It means a ton to us, and it sure helps out. Uh, we try uh, really hard to put out good content for everybody. So that being said, one of the pieces that we really love is uh, our tip of the week brought to you by Deervane. Head on over to Deervane.com for some practical, solid advice from a good human, our friend Anthony Heller. And uh, Anthony, what do you got for us this week? What's up, everyone? Thanks for having me on again, Eric and Greg. Really appreciate it. This week's tip of the week is to be mobile. And I don't mean just from tree to tree, but I also mean from property to property. About 10 years ago, I started really diving into this public land thing, and I was really only hunting one piece for a whole season. I wasn't having a lot of success, and then the next season I would move on, and the next season I would move on, and I just was hunting one piece per season, and what I realized is that is a really bad way to go about it. (laughs) It was not very efficient. What I needed to do was scout four, five, six pieces in the spring, mark spots on all of them, And then start at one, sit there three, four, five times, or drop some cameras on it, see what I see, and move on. And move around until I find that right spot. And that, since I've been doing that, it's been extremely helpful for me. And right now, in the springtime, is a great time to get out. All the vegetation's down, all the sign is there to see, you know, scrapes, trails, rubs, everything's there. So going out right now, marking, you know, four, five, six pieces of public land, 
uh, up on Onyx Maps or any sort of digital map or even just hard copies and just drawing on them, marking those up. So when come season, you start at one spot, which generally is the closest one to home for me. I always like to start there because it's just easy. And if that's not good, I move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And I'm just constantly staying mobile from property to property just because the more you move, the more your odds of success and the more you're going to learn and figure out what property is good and what property you need to spend time on and what property you shouldn't spend time on. All right. Hope it helps, guys. Catch you later. All right, so that was a really good episode, I think, but that's subjective, of course. I think that uh, we'll hear from E Hunter, I think, for tomorrow's episode. I'm pretty confused about what day of the week it is. It's actually Tuesday, and uh, it feels like Friday. And the fact that we're doing another podcast tomorrow is different than normal. So it's just a weird week. But if you've made it this far, please tune in tomorrow. We're going to be talking with guest Doug Duran. Uh, he's with the Meat Eater crew, but he's a conservationist and he's a very knowledgeable uh, thought leader on CWD and just a good guy to talk to. Um, he's a former history teacher. He's just a really knowledgeable guy, smart guy. So we're going to chat with him tomorrow on the show, different time, 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. And it might be an hour, hour and a half to two hour long episode, depending on what we get into on the show. Uh, time flies when you're talking with the people that you like to talk with. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But tune in tomorrow. Feel free to call in towards the end. We'll take calls. I'm trying to get better at opening up the lines, so to speak, so we can let you, our listeners, call into the show and engage. So if you want to watch live uh, tomorrow, head on over to our Facebook, YouTube or Twitter page at 5 p.m. we'll be live and then we'll take calls towards the end and then next week tuesday we'll be back on at our normal time uh, that'll be tuesday at 7 p.m central standard time and again if you want to call in we we appreciate it this is your show and next week we're gonna be talking with trevor with the outdoor drive they just had me on their show and it's a good show good guys so should be fun everybody have a great day and uh i'm public <laughs>